With the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ behind us, just a couple of three weeks in Easter, we look forward to how we, as Christians, are to respond to that event. We'll take a look at that next in Worship the Risen Christ, on this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Remember the ad campaign of Walt Disney several years ago? They would catch the winning pitcher of a World Series game or the Super Bowl quarterback and say, you've just won the Super Bowl or you've just won the World Series. What are you going to do now? And they would respond with, I'm going to Disneyland. Christ has just died for you. He has been buried and he has risen again on the third day. What are you going to do? Well, that question will be answered in our series entitled Worship the Risen Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll take the time to study God's Word today to see what it means to worship a risen Savior. There's a lot in store on today's broadcast. We begin in Matthew. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with this edition of Graceful Truth. So if you'll turn in your your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at the resurrection of Christ. The words in Matthew 28 culminate to an incredible climax of everything that the Apostle has written up to this point in 27 chapters. It reaches an apex, a climax. And as he's writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he begins to unveil this incredible message to us. In chapter 28, remember that death is a subject that people don't like to discuss. People in general shy away from the subject of death because death has a finality to it that make most people uncomfortable. Very few people I know look forward to dying. Now, sure, as a Christian, I look forward to the afterlife, being with the Lord, not having this body, but having a new glorified body and being in heaven. I I look forward to that. But I don't look forward to dying, simply because dying usually takes place through a process. And it's the process that kind of fears us at times. Because death in itself has a biting sting and a sense of defeat in its very nature. Death is something we will all most likely face pending the Lord's return for his church. Some of us are nearer to death than others, but we're all on the same path. This body one day will give up its breath. The heart that has pumped so faithfully for us over the years will give out. Our brain activity will slowly just pass away. And then this body that we try to take care of, exercise, eat right, all those things, we try to prolong our life. One day, this body will be dead. Life will be gone from it. And it will be laid in the ground, as the scripture says, from the dust it came, and it will return. Yet here in the closing chapter of Matthew 28, we have a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is also the central event in God's redemptive history. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Everything that we have, everything that we hope for, 
is dependent upon it being the truth. There would be no Christianity if there was no resurrection. We wouldn't be here. There'd be no reason to be here. Who wants to serve a dead Savior? See, the message of Scripture has always been a message of resurrection, a message of hope, a message that death is not the end for those who belong to God. See, for the believer, death has never been an end, but rather a doorway that leads to eternity with God. We see that through the Scriptures. Abraham willingly obeyed God's command to sacrifice his only son. Think about it. He was to take his only son up on an altar and sacrifice him. And he was willing to do that because he believed in a resurrection. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 that Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. So Abraham was willing to obey God because he thought, hey, the worst thing that can happen is I actually kill my son and God raises him back from the dead. Throughout the Psalms we see this declared. Psalm 49, 15 specifically says, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, or hell, for he will receive me. Isaiah even proclaimed in Isaiah 26, 19, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. Through the book of Daniel, we see it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. He assures his people, although they die, one day they will awake to everlasting life. Hosea assures believers that the Lord will raise up all believers to live before him. He says this in Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we will live before him. Even that Old Testament righteous man, Job, who went through so much trouble in his life, he asked rhetorically, if a man dies, will he live again? And then he declares in Job 14, 14, All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. He even foresaw the reality of the resurrection, proclaiming in Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 26, he said this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. See, the resurrection is a reality, and it's a reality that leads to promised hope that God's people have throughout history. But that hope all comes down and is dependent upon one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because as Joe read earlier out of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, if Christ hasn't risen, what do we have? We don't have anything. We're still in our sins. It's his resurrection that guarantees ours. We see that throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul declares, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made, what? Alive. See, this is why the resurrection of Christ throughout history has been one of the most denied, despised, mocked truths of the Bible. But I think only a fool tries to explain away the resurrection because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are man's only hope for salvation. They're man's only hope for eternal life. There's no other back door. There's no other side trail that you can get to God. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you have to come through me. 
People throughout history believed in the resurrection. Even those who persecuted Christians. One instance, they investigated a mass burial of 11,000 heads. One of the islands in the western Pacific. And they discovered that further away from where all the heads were buried were the bodies. And they found out that back in 1637, the Japanese government, which controlled this area, ordered all Christians in the empire to be exterminated. And because they knew the Christians believed in the resurrection, they thought, you know what? We're going to cut their heads off and separate their bodies so that we're going to prevent this resurrection from even happening. (laughs) So even those that persecute Christians believed in it. The, the, The bottom line is this, beloved. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. And it's so foundational to Christianity, let me say this, that no one who denies it is a true Christian. No one who denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ is assured heaven or the forgiveness of their sin. Without resurrection, there is no Christian faith. There is no salvation. There is no hope. Let's put it all back in the box and just go home and watch a baseball game. (laughs) And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And you're still in your sins. Your faith is worthless if there's no resurrection. We see even in the New Testament, as Peter preached the first message in Acts chapter 2, what did he preach on? He preached on the resurrection. He said, and God raised him up again after he charged his hearers with putting Jesus to death. He said, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Acts chapter 2, 23 and 24. And he continued that message to the Jews in Acts chapter 4 and also to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. We also see where Paul preached this same message of the resurrection over continually. He preached it in the synagogue of Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead. He whom God raised did not undergo decay. He proclaimed the, re- proclaimed the resurrection before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem in verses, uh, chapter 23, verse 6. He d- did it before the governor Felix in chapter 24, before the king Agrippa in chapter 26. See, the, the, the resurrection is a central and strongly emphasized theme, not only of the Old Testament, but even of the New Testament, specifically in Paul's epistles. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Christ was buried and he's raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. He who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. In Ephesians 1.20, Father raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. See, Paul longed to know Christ. He even said in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said this, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of what? His resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Even Peter spoke of the resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. He spoke of a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That that ensures us an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Wouldn't it be nice to be guaranteed something in this world today? So many times, you know, you, you get promises that just seem to fade away. Our government's promising us hope and change. Our doctors promise us just a newer drug. This will help you. See, we we have this all over the map, only to have our promises dashed. Well, Jesus Christ makes a promise, and he is not one to lie. Even John on the island of Patmos, who wrote the book of Revelation, he beheld the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus said this, I am the first and the last, the living one, 
And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. See, Jesus Christ himself told us that he did die. He just didn't, he wasn't just placed in a tomb and was asleep and everybody thought he was dead. No, he literally died. And God raised him from the dead. And Jesus' own words say that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he does die. John eleven twenty five, and also in fourteen nineteen, he says, because I live, you shall live also. You know, there's a, there's a lot of denial going around today about the resurrection. Even the most pagan person, though, when you talk to him about Christ, you talk to him about the church and the doctrines, and even the most pagan person will say, yeah, isn't that the guy who's supposed to come back from the dead? I mean, they know what it's about. Unfortunately, they deny it. We live in a, in a, in a day and age where we rationalize everything, and we re- reject the resurrection, and anything supernatural for that matter. Because we can't explain it scientifically. We can't explain it logically. I don't know about you, but I don't want a a God who's logical. I don't want a God who's bound to science. I want a God who's able to do supernatural things beyond the constraints that we deal with on an everyday time period. There's a myriad of reasons why people reject the resurrection. Some are hostile toward the things of God. They hate God. They will not acknowledge that Christ was the Son of God. Other people are just ignorant of the fact that he claimed to rise from the dead, and he actually did. But see, my point is this, is that without the resurrection, we don't have anything. So when we come to our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 28, as I read this for you, you can follow along in your Bibles, verses 1 to 10, we're going to see a picture of the women who really cared for Jesus, who really loved Jesus deeply. They ministered to him on several occasions. And we're going to see their response emotionally to his resurrection. Look at what it says in verse 1, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took a hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. And there they will see me. Look at verse 1. The first thing we notice here is this emotion of compassion. It says, Now after the Sabbath. What day is the Sabbath on? Saturday. That's the day of the Sabbath. They didn't have days. They didn't have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday in the Jewish culture back then. So what they would do is they would number the days after the Sabbath. So Sunday was the first day after the Sabbath. Monday, second, third, fourth, right up until you come back around to the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the day of rest. That was the, the model that the Lord laid down even when he created us. He did it for six days and he rested. I'm glad that he rested. <laughs> Can you imagine if he didn't rest? Can you imagine? I mean, you think your life's hectic now. Can you imagine if you didn't have a right to have a day off? If your employer could say, no, you're working seven days a week, 24-7. It's 
Some of you may be in that trap. You need to get out. That's not healthy. It's not good for you. You need a day where you just kind of relax, let your body recuperate. But he says, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came and looked into the grave. The actual time for a day was sundown of the previous evening till the began to dawn the following day. So here we're on the first day of the week, Sunday. Uh, John in his gospel says they came when it was still dark. So it's early in the morning. Now, the day before Jesus arose from the grave was, you have to understand this, the last divinely ordained Sabbath for his people. People say, well, why don't we worship on Saturday? If God rested on Saturday, the seventh day, and, and the Jews celebrate the Sabbath, why don't Christians celebrate the Sabbath? By the way, some Christians do. Seventh-day Adventists do. But I think they're sorely mistaken. Because when Christ rose from the, the dead on the following day, which would be Sunday, that's when the new covenant in Jesus Christ was ushered in. We're not held to all the rules and the regulations of the law in Christ. We're free to, to worship. We're free to eat. We're free to do whatever is honoring unto the Lord. It was because of the resurrection of Christ that as Christians we worship on Sunday mornings. So here we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now they had witnessed Joseph's and Nicodemus's wrapping up Jesus's body and the, the, the spices and prepared it for burial. They did all that, but they just wanted to come back. And they wanted to make sure that everything was okay. They weren't coming back to the grave to see if he rose from the dead. That's why, not why they were coming back. They thought he was dead. They believed he was dead. And so Matthew here focuses on only these two Marys. There's a couple other women that the other Gospels bring up, but for the most part, we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and she was the mother of James and Joseph, the wife of Clopas. So they thought that Jesus would still be in the grave. So they came back because they wanted to minister to him maybe before the fourth day came, because in the Jewish culture, four days, if, if a body was in the grave four days, it was just... Uh, the, the spirit in their culture, in their tradition, this isn't Bible, this is what they held to believe, uh, that the spirit of the dead person after the, the, the fourth day would leave because the body was so disfigured and so decayed and the spirit could no longer recognize it. That's what they believed. And maybe that's what reflected is here. They wanted to get back before that fourth day to, to maybe put a little more of the spices that they had on the body of the Savior. For whatever reason they, they, they came back, they did not have confidence that Jesus was resurrected. They had great love for him. They had great devotion for him. But what they lacked in their faith, they compensated for in their loving compassion. They wanted to once again just minister to this dead body of the Savior, because that's what they thought they were going to find. Second emotion they have here is not just compassion, but they also have terror. Look at what happens in verse 2. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And now this was the second supernaturally caused earthquake in a matter of days here. Remember, there was an earthquake with the death of Christ and then also the burial. The first one occurred at his death. The second one here at the, the, the grave. So God caused this, this earthquake by an angel. So within three days, he caused two great earthquakes outside of Jerusalem. And it all had to deal with the death and burial of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us here that the earthquake occurred when an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. I mean, you think Jesus Christ is powerful. He is. But angels are also powerful. 
And for whatever reason, this, this angel caused the earth around the grave to tremble violently. And it says here that he rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. Now remember, this is a secured, sealed grave because they, they knew what Jesus taught about the resurrection. The Romans did. And the government authorities did. The Jews did. And they thought, hey, we don't want anybody tampering with this grave and possibly coming back and, and stealing the body and then saying, oh, look, he rose from the dead. They didn't want that to happen. So this grave was guarded by soldiers. And basically their life was on the line. It was a seal upon that stone that said no one can go in here. And if someone breaks this seal, basically it's your guy's head. So they took their job very seriously because their life was on the line. But here we see an angel coming from heaven, an earthquake. He moves the stone and then he just sits there. And some people, you know, we, we've all seen the little, the, the Easter uh, celebrations in churches, even stories and the kids and the angel comes and he, he, he moves the, the stone away and then the Savior comes out. So the thinking is, well, Jesus needed an angel to come from heaven to move this big stone so that he could come out. But that's not what it says. <laughs> that's not what happened. Think about it. If Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead, I don't think he's going to worry about a little stone covering, covering up the opening to his grave. He certainly had the relatively minor power required to escape the sealed grave. And when we see him in his post-resurrection experiences, we see, see experiences where he walks right through walls. So there's something about the resurrected body, and we're all going to get one if we know Jesus Christ, that allows us to do those kind of things and yet still be recognizable. That, that's kind of neat to look forward to that. But he did not move the stone to allow Jesus to come out, beloved. The angel moved the stone to let the women and the apostles in so that they could see, hey, he's not here. He's gone. Before the angel appeared, Mary Magdalene tells us in John chapter 20, another account in another gospel, she got there before the angel appeared. And she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. And here's what she said. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So some, somehow she missed the angel's announcement. And she was already off telling everybody, well, somebody stole the body. He's gone. Meanwhile, the angel manifested himself back at the tomb to those who were near the tomb. And his appearance, it says, look at it, was like lightning. Remember in the Old Testament when Moses went up to the mountain and he was near the presence of God and he came back and it says that his face shone from the glory of God? Well, that's probably what was going on with this angel. Some of the glory of God rubbed off on this angel and it says that he appeared like lightning. The Shekinah glory of the Lord. And it says his garment was as white as snow. That suggests God's purity. This angel was holy. He was pure. He wasn't a demon. He was a real angel, a pure angel. And you see the terror of the guards. Verse 4 says, And for fear of him, the guards trembled. Fear of who? The angel. And became like dead men. They shook. They were literally shaking in their boots, you might say. It says they became like dead men. Have you ever been so scared at something you just can't move? You're just frozen? That's how these guards felt. They just didn't know what happened. They thought, man, not only were they in fear for the, the angel and all the earthquake and everything, but they were in fear for their own lives. These were the guys that were given charge to make sure that nobody tampers with this grave. But look at what the, the angel says. But the angel said to the women, some translations say the angel answered, the women didn't ask a question, so it's kind of a poor translation. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I mean, the soldiers had good reason to be afraid, right? I mean, they were, they were the enemy. They were the ones that were keeping, you know, watch over this grave. They were the ones that, that crucified him. They were on that team. But the angel was very caring, and he quickly turns to the women and says, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. He explained to them, because the women were probably just as terrified as the soldiers at this point. He says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See, the angel knew why the women came. And then the angel says in verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.